Welcome to a very well-prepared, minutiously, another minutiously prepared episode of Standard Deviation Podcast. Yes, we are known for being organized. Massively organized. Yes. This is should, a... we, should we share some of our secrets, like all the research that we do prior to recording? Because I'm sure that there are other podcast hosts yeah. out there who look at us with envy and they want to know <laughs> how we do all of this. Like, how are we so fluent and how do we know so much about our guests and how do we have, how do we have so many good questions? Like, what's our process? We, we do uh, NLP <laughs> research <laughs> because that's, that's, you know, we do this NLP research and we get like topics automatically. Yeah. We're do, using Gen AI to get topics generated, bespoke. Yeah. Yes, based bespoke. On our guests. Well, well used. That's a good word to use here. <laughs> Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> and uh, yeah. before every episode, we have like this uh, routine and ritual. Mm-hmm. We meet like two hours in advance, mm-hmm. plan everything. Yes. We're constantly <laughs> scheming over who, who to get next. So yeah, yes. make sure if you want to, if you want to do as good as we do with the podcast, you know, AI is the answer again. <laughs> <laughs> One day we'll write the book about this and then we'll explain it, explain yeah. our process thoroughly. So I see you, Simon, on your blog. You're glowing with the Google tag, with GTM, with everything that's going on. What's happening? What, what's oh, good there? Yeah. Um, I think I'm just happy that I finally got around to writing about them. So <laughs> I started the articles in May because that's when I first started playing with them. And I've been like the entire server-side tagging course has been bottlenecked because of those releases because I need to show how the new Google tag works for ser- server container dispatch. So I'm really, really happy that they find... So Google, when you're listening to this recording, you're hopefully already accessing this stuff in your container, but Google has released the new Google tag uh, in Google Tag Manager, which is basically a, a rewritten user interface for the configuration tags. And they've also released the new settings variables, which make it easier to configure settings across GTM. So I'm, I'm kind of giddy because it's, you know, many people have been saying that GTM for web is just, you know, it's abandonware at this point, nothing's happening. And I've been kind of just laughing inside because I know for a fact that that's never been the case. Um, and they're doing incremental releases all the time, but these are actually pretty, pretty big things. And hopefully now that they've gotten these big things out of the way, they can start working with incremental updates again. But yeah, that's, that's been, that's just been preoccupying me, but that's just boring GTM stuff. You, on the other hand, have written like the, a novel, uh, or a, or a master's novel. thesis on, on your latest, latest and greatest hobby. What would that be? Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, man, I've been obsessing about uh, natural <laughs> language processing. And uh, I think after the technical marketing guide, which I think is still one of my best works, I released this um, natural language processing guide, which gives you like a crash course in what natural language is, what natural language processing is. And just uh, uh, as you noticed, and we talked about this uh, before, I'm giving a lot of references on where you can actually learn more about this if this is your topic. But like, yeah, I just got bored of the, like, I, I'm over the whole Bayesian versus uh, frequentist conversations. I'm over uh, prioritizing everything to run an A-B test on the website on an app. Like, it's way more to that, you know, to experimentation than just running an A-B test. I'm not saying mm. they're not important. So hold your forks. Don't come at me yet. I'm not saying A-B testing is not important, but it's just one task in a huge, you know, um, uh, program that where you can do a lot of things. So just just being, I think the I think of the future beyond you know like obviously making sure you have a clean implementation, 
and uh, great tracking, which is what you, you know, help people to do. Just want to give people like the idea of going a bit further than that and look at unstructured data and, you know, realize that now it's very accessible. Like it costs you like $15 to go and use GCP and use uh, the NLP uh, uh, AI and uh, Vertex AI and to run your, you just need to know a bit of SQL. But even if you don't, you can use ChatGPT and write the query. Like it's that possible. Mm-hmm. And I had a great talk with uh, Michael. Um, I'm gonna mess up his last name, of course, Agar. Yesterday. That's good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about this, and um, I was just telling him like everything is so accessible right now, where you can actually do customer research and data analysis at scale using uh, using uh, you know all these tools like uh, Google Cloud Platform, Hugging Face. Uh, the transformers from Hugging Face are good. So if you're curious about NLP, I'm gonna uh, you know link this in the in the comment section. But the TLDR it just helps you understand the voice of the customer better, and it's not gonna help you activate the data just by running an A/B test. You can do better paid search. You can do better ads. You can do better. Um, you know, product releases, more intelligent product releases. The coolest thing that I'm working on right now, and I'm sharing it with you for the first time, um, Google Search Console, uh, looking at search queries, like things that are positive and negative in search. For instance, is this brand a scam? Uh, I'm worried about this, like looking at all the negative type of search queries and the way people are researching a brand. Yeah. Basically, you will understand what's the cognitive dissonance a new visitor comes to uh, with on the website for the first time. So knowing how you're perceived is going to help you make that website experience better, but also like improve your ads copy, improve your targeting. So not a lot of people know that, but it's a search console. It's a treasure trove. That's really cool. Yeah. So right now, this is where I'm working on API from the search console, trying to uh, make uh, the natural language processing. um, I'm doing sentiment analysis, but I'm also doing this thing called uh, complaints classification using zero-shot classification. And Mm. I know this is a lot of words (laughs) if you never listened to or never had to do this. But basically, if you know you already have some problems, you can do two... Like, when it comes to NLP, you can do two things. You can explore or you can can exploit. So explore is when you're just looking there and finding out shit. It's just like you're doing explorations Mm. in GA4. You're just trying to see what's going on there. (laughs) But to exploit is if you know... If you have, like, some specific issues... And you can uh, make uh, those issues like a topic and then you use this pre-trained model that are available for free on huggingface.co. Um, and then you, te- you use that model to recognize those uh, topics inside reviews, inside social media, inside search queries. And you can see what's the volume, what's the gravity, what's the magnitude. And hopefully this is going to give you a very good prioritization model to know what to address first and how. But for Google Search Console, it's fucking amazing. Like that's the mm-hmm. most exciting stuff I've uh, I've done in a long time. But I don't want to like take over with this because I'll probably talk talk for no, three no, hours. Really cool. But uh, what, yeah. So so can you just share before we head on to the um, the the actual meat of this uh, today? <laughs> we so, have a we actually do have a guest, but can you share like a uh, like a use case, like what you used it for this, and what were the actual benefits of this compared to like doing just manual analysis? Yeah, so I uh, I actually this is my the case study that I I shared also at Measure Summit. So I have a client which is um, a global beverage retailer. They have an app, but they also have restaurants across the world. 
And this client, we are developing their app besides doing data and media for them. So they came to me and asked me, um, Juliana, like, I want to know, like, we, we invest a lot of money, obviously, in developing the app. But, like, I want to know what is the user experience, actually. Like, what are the biggest problems of the app? So these guys have 500,000 reviews in the uh, Google App Store and the play, in, uh, iOS Store. So I said, like, for sure I can go through, uh, you know, to these reviews and figure it out. But, like, there has to be an easier way to go through these reviews mm. and be able to see, like, what's the sentiment, you know, like the brand sentiment in different regions. And uh, obviously, what are the, the, the issues? So the first thing I did was the sentiment analysis thing. And I used, um, so I used app figures, which collects all the reviews. And I used the API to send the reviews, not before. I used the data loss prevention thingy where I removed all the personal identifiable data. So no personal identifiable data went, you know, arrived in the, in the Google Cloud. And then I used some cloud functions and Vertex AI to be able to uh, transform and analyze these reviews and then just, uh, you know, send the, the results in a Looker Studio. It's not great, Looker Studio. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's, it's, it's probably there's better ways to visualize data, but... That's like the budget, and we, we use Looker Studio. So I was able to get the sentiment uh, score and the magnitude. So the sentiment analysis is just basically looking at a sentence. And based on the words that are in that sentence, you are scoring either positive, neutral, or uh, negative. So, if, so like if I say uh, this app is terrible, that would be a negative score because these models are trained to recognize negative words and positive words. But they are also capable of recognizing neutrality. So like if you say this app sucks, but I still like something, then the machine will know it's a neutral. So we did that, but then we said this is not enough because it doesn't give us enough you know, knowledge about what's going on. So like the actual use cases when we did use the zero class classification and we knew from the client that there are some issues with login and payment. So we built like some sort of small vocabulary with all the used words that can be possible within. And we use this pre-trained model from Hugging Face to identify the probability of those things to be mentioned in the review. So when we delivered this to the, to, to the client, they basically had like a prioritization model of mm -hmm. what are the biggest issues to fix. Uh, some things were like, just do it. Like for instance, they yeah. had issues with forgot password and they had no idea about that. And now with the payment, we realize that a lot of people are requesting for Apple Wallet. So we have like right. a very good statistical significance that this should be the next feature. So now they're working with us to do that. And right. obviously for A-B testing, we are we've noticed that there's um, a bit of an issue with onboarding in the app. So now we're going to try different types of uh, tests to do the to improve the onboarding. So it's been really cool. Like this is one of the use cases. And yeah. the second one, which I'm not going to go into detail, is this one with Google Search Console. It's helping a lot with page search and knowing yeah. like what are these negative keywords. It helps us with the landing page optimization because we can improve the copy. Like it's basically before somebody goes to a website for the first time, all you have as a brand is your digital footprint. So it's your social media, your mm -hmm. reputation and so on. And knowing what these problems are before a user lands to the website, it gives you some sort of competitive advantage to be, to, you know, give like the proper environment to, for that user to be successful. But I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, no, that's really cool. Are, are you going to do like a, a publish the case study in the Media Monks blog or something? I hope that uh, next year when uh, I know, uh, and these are good awards, done very good by Tan Whistling. Mm -hmm. um, he has this experimentation awards. 
and uh, I've been low-key dreaming about that, uh, you know, participating into those awards. So this is not like a classic A-B testing, uh, you know, case study. It's more like, you know, data science, but it's also like affecting experimentation yep. in different ways. So I plan to apply to those, uh, to those awards next year with this case study. And hopefully if the client approves, for me to share this and you guys will hear who the client is, you're going to be like, whoa, Julia, that's really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, yeah. Really, really Hopefully. Cool. Yeah. It's been fun. It's, it's good to get away from GE4 for some time being. I bet. <laughs> it's good for all of us. Yeah. But that's it. I don't want to bore anyone because this this can come very, like, <laughs> easily go in three hours about <laughs> the topic. Yeah. So, so are we going to go to our guest or do you want to... Before we go to our guest, Simo, don't think you have uh, gotten ridden of the most embarrassing time of the of the. Podcast. Oh yes, of course. Oh yes. Here we go. There you go. Don't don't tell me I don't create enough, you know, like mystery. Yeah. They have to pay something to Queen for that drum riff. Yeah, that was not like such a blatant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like one of those songs when you go to this conference and speak, and they're using like yeah. these weird songs to get you on stage. And yeah. I swear that's exactly like I the bet. One. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You know what yeah, this so, means? <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, it's Sima from Simmer again. Um, <laughs> I don't have that much to share, except I have just completed the last things with our update to the service side tagging course. So hopefully, Maybe even as early as tomorrow, we'll have it out. And um, yeah, it's a complete reshoot and rewrite of our most popular, to me, the most important course. So I'm really, really happy to get it out there. Um, we've there, There's a lot of completely new content, of course, related to how things have changed over the last three years. Um, but there's also, I've removed a lot of stuff because I didn't think mm. they contributed to the flow of the course um, and they, it was just getting too bloated. Yeah. And the removed stuff, before you get all huffy and puffy about it, not you, but the, the audience, um, I, I we're probably going to release as blog posts. So it's it's going to be oh. out there anyway um, in, in one way or another. You know, it's things like how to deploy on Azure, which is just a super complicated thing and requires so much upkeep to make sure that it always matches the new changes to the cloud platform. So um, if you are already uh, enrolled in a server-side course, so prior to us releasing this upgrade, you will have the chance to update for free or you can throw some pennies our way. So we have this pay-what-you-want scheme in case you want to. That's very generous of you guys. Well, we promised. We promised that it would, they would have access to the update, which in hindsight might not have been the best business decision, but I think it's the right thing to do for our students because it is essentially the same course, but just with updated content. Um, but it did take a lot of time and a lot of work to get it done, and we want to keep keeping it you know, fresh. So that's why we also added the little option that if you want to contribute to our, our pension fund, um, then, then feel free to do so. And... As always, if you want to buy our individual courses and enjoy a little bit of a discount, we have the Standard Deviation Podcast special coupon code DEVIATE, that's D-E-V-I-A-T-E, for 10% off a single course purchase. That's really cool. I've seen so many LinkedIn posts uh, sharing the certificate for the server side course in the latest period. Like a lot, a lot of people are, are on this. 
and uh, yes. excited to hear feedback from i know you don't like feedback but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hate it i <laughs> still hate unless it unless it's positive I still no no I I don't think I even like the positive stuff because I don't think that's genuine I don't think that's genuine so so yeah yeah don't but give hey, CMO feedback yeah please. don't give me feedback give you know give my give give our CEO feedback like she will very much enjoy it um, anyway cool. we have a guest and yes we have an awesome guest we're going to be talking about event tracking we're going to be talking about his workbook product analytics we're going to talk about product about analytics stuff. this is Timo Deschau from Deep Sky Data and other yes. places all over. So let's get him now. Yay! We have Timo here finally. We had some technical difficulties. The lobby was yeah. cold. There was no heating there. <laughs> he's now here. Welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm quite well. I'm a little bit stressed out. I hate technical problems before recording. Yeah, starting, so. yeah I'm sorry you had those. Yeah, it was no, no. The, the biggest browser in the world failed us. How is that possible? That is true. And basically, like the, the, the big competition, at least like self-acclaimed competition, yeah. Microsoft Edge solved the thing. So yeah. yeah, they're good for something then. They do a lot of like, if you've been following Edge's Twitter, they do a lot of like self-appraising um, uh, outreach these days. They're like, we're the best browser in the world. And I'm, I'm sure you are, but maybe somebody else should say it than you. That, that's true. So at least like now they can pick the soundbite here to say, at least it solved this session. <laughs> yeah, the most famous podcast in the world. Yes, just, exactly. Just, just said, is using Edge, at least one of our guests is. So um, let's jump straight to it. Uh, so um, tell me, you, you've been working on a workbook and as, a, as, a, as content creators, we're fascinated by that. And it's kind of a living project mm -hmm. and you're still selling it to your audience. So how does it all work and what is the workbook about? So first, the workbook is about event data. Uh, it is, a, let's say, a very specific kind of topic, but something that is pretty close to my heart. And I always wanted to mm. compile all the things that I was, I think, doing for over 10 years yeah. um, into just one book. And initially, it started as how to fix tracking. So it was more specific to this kind of problem. But on the way I discovered, no, it's broader because like I'm, I'm yep. usually like spending more time now to thinking about how future of event data will look like and so on. And I want to get it in there as well. So this was part yep. one. This is like how the final topic basically developed over time. Yep. And, and as you said, like it's a living thing. This is another thing. I was struggling a bit how I should approach this. So. I definitely want to do it self-publishing because I wanted yeah. to have as much control as possible. I wanted to have it as a workbook and workbook means it's like, uh, it's more hand, hand on and should have at yeah. least like two ways to read this thing. So on the one hand, you can flip through and find stuff that is useful, useful for you at this specific point of time, but you can also just read it. So it's mm -hmm. like, and this is like how it's built. It has a lot of, let's say illustration, where if you are a visual person like myself, this is like your approach. You can go through and can see, okay, this is interesting. Maybe I read a little bit more. Or you can be, let's say, the I read from A to Z and go from the beginning to the end. And so because of that, I wanted to control yeah. it. And so this yeah. is like the reason why I started out. But that's really interesting because you now have a book that doesn't have an ending yet. And you, yeah. you're, you're probably not entirely sure what it's going to look like when it's no. complete. So I'm wondering, like, how do you negotiate that? Uh, I completely understand having like a 
uh, a volume that can be both a reference guide and something that you can read through. But don't those two approaches re- like require a bit different style of writing? Like if if you if it's a reference, you can't really do too many internal references. You can't yeah. say that as we mentioned, you know, in the previous chapter, because I might be just jumping into your chapter. And now that you don't know how it's going to end, it's also difficult to say that as we'll talk more in an upcoming chapter. So ha- like, do these things preoccupy you? Because from like a, like a control nerd point of view, I would be totally terrified about the prospect of doing something like this. Yeah. But maybe it's something that for you works in a more ad hoc or a, or a fluent way. What do you like? I think it's a mix. I would say like the, the reference use case is the dominant one. Mm. So, um, and, and it's, I think it's more optimized for this kind of thing. Yeah. And I definitely have an idea what will come. So there might be, let's say one or two chapters that will just appear while I'm writing something. So it already yeah. happened before. So I discovered a chapter just when I was starting to write another chapter because I thought, oh, look, if I talk about design, maybe I should mm. introduce how to basically order yeah. the design because like a design can be anything, a design. Yeah. Yeah, it's random. Yeah, so. I love it how you describe. Right, I discovered a chapter. It sounds like you know you're just typing, and suddenly, boom! You yeah, kind, kind of wake of. up. What what the hell did I just write? It's really cool. I think there are some mm. even like fiction writers who who have that like an epiphany. Like yes. I never even planned for this, but it just came out of my fingers. That's that's really that's cool. how I live my life, Simo, every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, figure it out. No, I think it's like it's it's kind of how my brain works, and yeah. so I discover gaps when I get along, and yeah. so and and this is like how I do this, and this in the thing in the end was also like the decision to make it as a living document, yeah. because I figured out I cannot produce let's say a zero point a version, mm. an eight version that I can say okay let's say this is like the first version and I bring it out, so yeah. I really discovered okay I need this kind and. I mean, I'm a product person. I live by the feedback of the people. Yeah. And, and it's not like that my, my inbox is flooding with feedback, but I get that. I get yeah. it from time to time. People writing, hey, this was really interesting. Um, this is stuff that I miss a little bit or so that I can, I can basically put it in. And so this helps. It's so really interesting. I have an end. So I, I know where it might end up at some point. But, um, but how are you going to stop yourself from editing? You know, once you finish it, going back and maybe oh, changing something? I'm, I'm someone who edits pretty rarely. Even like when I okay. write Substack pieces, I know a lot of people do it like this. So basically, create a first version and then cut it down, even yeah. like 30s. I usually don't do it. So I usually have, because like I work a lot with outlines. So I start with an outline first and then flesh it out. Yeah. And this is, I usually end up where I want to end up. And yeah. uh, so, yes, of course, I do correction type uh, stuff and so on, editing. But I rarely go back to fix things. So it's, yeah. I think it happened one or two times now. The whole thing. Yeah. So, so first of all, that, thanks for the methodology talk. Um, I think that was really, really interesting to hear how people approach this stuff. But let's talk about what you're actually writing about. So you're talking about event tracking and you're talking yeah. about events. And now you're going to, you know, I'm going to ask you the blue eyed naive question, like, what is there to write about? You know, you just, stuff happens on a site, you collect that, you track that, you push it to the data layer, you add whatever semantic model makes sense at whatever time. So why is it more complicated than that? Uh, You bring, I think you already mentioned, let's say at least one of the problems is like technical events are super easy. 
they have a timestamp and they have a unique identifier. This makes this the beauty of it. I mean, it's like it's and they're often like immutable. So like you just create a log of stuff that's happening. It's it's really nice. So um, the problem happens when we as humans try to give it a meaning. So people give an event a name, and they're like the problems are starting because like one name. And in the book, I have this example with newsletter subscribed. Newsletter subscribed. When you go into your company and you ask five different teams, you ask the developers, you ask the marketing team, you ask the product team, what does it actually mean? They will start to describe what newsletter subscribe means to them. And I'm pretty sure you will have different kinds of versions of it. So let's say the technical, let's say developers might describe it from a technical standpoint. So for example, when a new record has been added to the subscriber table, if you handle the subscriptions yourself. And marketing would say if they end up in HubSpot and I can basically send emails to them. So you can end up with different kinds of things, which is totally fine. I mean, this is like, this is the beauty and, and the, the madness of language. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is one part that makes event design really complicated to find a common ground. And the other problem that, and I think this was mostly like the trigger why I was starting to write this book, was like, I did event setups for over eight years. And I always thought I do it in a good way. So I created this long tracking plan, sometimes even like in big projects with 120 unique different kind of events, because I thought this is covering everything. And <laughs> yeah, you're shaking your head. So it's like, no, it's, it's true. Because like one thing that I discovered, once we had everything implemented and I had teams working with the kind of data where I thought, hey, this is the best thing that you can get, they were still struggling to answer their questions. So there was some kind of gap and I could always close this gap where I said, well, actually for this business question, you need these two events, you combine them in this way and do it like this. But this was, the gap was too much. For me, it was solvable because I was working on this every day. But let's say someone in, in a product or growth team, they work in this maybe one time a month or so because like their main job is something different. And so I sat down and thought about, okay, how can we design event data that is so user-friendly mm. for people who are not working with this every day so that they don't need this translation anymore. And so I started to then define events more from a business and product perspective because this is where the people basically live every day. And this changed it a lot. So like when, when I was starting to define events really like from a product or business perspective or customer perspective, so taking the customer journey as a baseline, Marketing and product teams immediately understood much easier how they should use this kind of stuff. And so this changed my whole approach, how I design events. So not more from the application side, more from the business side. And then we look into the application where we can get the data from. And that frees you up as well. So you don't have to get it from a front end. So you can make a deliberate decision. So for example, maybe the newsletter subscribed event, I just pull from HubSpot webhook. Because like, this is basically like how marketing wants it. And so we just take the data from there. So it also, it frees you up where you can get the kind of event stuff. But it's the classic entity action thing, right? You know what is the entity you're looking for and then what's the action of the specific thing. But yeah. like to be able to write those, you need to know exactly what <laughs> do you want to track, what is exactly that you want to measure. Like how do you tackle that with your clients? Because most of the times they... Like tracking everything, you know, my opinions about that. That's why I was shaking my head because I really don't agree with like, let's track everything because it's useless. Not saying, you know, in your case, but in general, like a lot of these metrics just go and die in an expensive dashboard. 
But like, what are like the things you're teaching people when they're they're starting their measurement plans? Like, what how they can condense and take the Marie Kondo approach? You know, like if it doesn't spark joy, you know, like don't do it. Uh, so I think in the end, one at least like one approach that helps is like you have, I would say, different levels of importance of event data. So let's say customer events, events across the customer journey, they are sometimes difficult because like there might be an event where you say, hey, they achieved the first value moment, which by definition is not really easy to define. So you have to sit down with product and so on. But these kind of events can help you to basically get a quick glance how your business and product is doing. So these are essential for any kind of report that you will create for the management for strategy meetings and so on. So quite important. And once you have set them up, you can already do a lot of things and you want to have them well monitored and so on because they are so important for you. Um, and then you, let's say on the second level, you have product events, which is more like on a feature level. So you basically divide your product in four, five core features. So not like micro features, let's say core features, use them as an entity and then uh, basically define what you can do within mm. this kind of feature. And then I have the third one, and this is basically like one of the tricks that I use because there is always a use case where someone wants to know how many people click the X on the layover. No one in management and strategy will care about how many people mm. click the X on the layover, but there are two desperate people in the product and UX team who wants to know because they want mm. to know if this kind of interaction makes sense. And so this is why I have some kind of catch-all interaction layer where we basically, let's say, define it on a very high level, like, I don't know, uh, icon clicked and icon can be X, and then you basically mm -hmm. define with the properties the context of it. And because these events are relevant in, let's say, often like in a small time frame when these people work mm -hmm. on this kind of interaction, um, and just for a specific set of people, but they're still relevant, and so you want to put them there, at least like, the let's say, the raw data. So you have this like unbridled fallback event data set for discovery. Like, yes. We can take a look at that. It's not meant to make any sense if you're looking at it broadly, but you might have, do you find yourself ever promoting some of those interactions to like the upper echelons of your event tracking when they, yep. when they seem to be more significant than they, than they appear to be initially? It definitely happens. Uh, I would not say it happens a lot, but it can definitely happen yeah. that, uh, that you basically upgrade something. Yeah. And and the nice thing is like, for example, if you work and if you work with classic product analytics tools, and even in GA4, you can do the same now. You can basically take a raw event and and can classify it, let's say, in mm. a well-defined event. So yeah. uh, so gives you kind of a refactoring layer on top of let's say raw event data. Because this so I'm I'm somebody who's always hated you know, measurement planning and, and, and writing elaborate designs and just For anything that even reeks of the waterfall model, like being able to come to a project and say, these are the events you should track. So I'm, I'm yeah. more of a fan of doing this, like, let's just do a broad um, event collection and then start picking out the ones that make sense to me. And I, I found that really useful, especially in cases where it's not imperative to get perfect data in, immediately. And if you're working with like an agile software mm -hmm. development cycle, then it's almost under, it's almost like understated that you know that's okay, that's a fine approach. But I'm wondering, do you think it's possible to actually arrive at a decent tracking implementation that way, or does there always need to be some kind of a, like a pre-planned component? Do you think that's too wild westy in a way? 
No, I think you can... I think the, the important part that I discovered is like, at some point you have to make it easy for people who are not yourself mm. to work with this kind of stuff. So, I mean, you are capable of go back into the code and to even find out where this stuff is triggered. Most of the people cannot. And so mm. I always have this scenario. So, for example, you are a product analyst. Come quick, let's say you are new to the team. You want to do some basic retention analysis. For retention, I need two events. So one that is starting the retention and one like which is measuring the coming back. And if it takes you a week to figure out which are the two events are really like suitable for this kind of job, then the setup has a problem because mm -hmm. this person should be able to do this in an hour. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is like thing where the problem starts. Your approach totally makes sense. And I, I can definitely tell you, let's say in the setups that I fully own today and, and, and I handle myself, I basically have a huge amount of raw events that I collect from everywhere. I collect stuff from the front end. I collect stuff from CDCs, from databases, logs. I collect it from APIs, from webhooks, and so on. And then I make the decision which one I basically upgrade to make it visible mm. for any kind of analysis. And this gives me basically both worlds that you just described. So on the one hand, it gives me this wide west where I can basically make sure that I get a lot of stuff somewhere. Uh, but I still translate it to make it easier to yeah. use. But but you're saying that you're in a privileged position because it's just you. You don't have to worry about stakeholders. You don't have to worry about, yes. and 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 there's also things like you know data minimization policies and regulations that you might not have to worry about if it's a, if it's a personal. So that that makes a lot of sense. But I still can um, control it. I mean, I still see yeah. this as a valid approach, especially like for bigger yeah. organiz organization, especially like since you're now basically have the possibility to. Um, let's say you aggregate all your event data in a data warehouse and there you basically apply all the transformation yeah. re reductions or so data reductions. So of course, I can yeah. reduce the things that I don't really need. And then I basically sync it up to any kind of analytics tool up there. And, so I have a control yeah. of this. Yeah, and obviously, like the more experienced you get, the more you have an intuitive sense of what is, a, like the, the models in your mind, you know what makes sense for an e-commerce site, you know what makes sense for a banking site, you know what makes sense for a content site. So even if it looks super ad hoc-y and oh, I'm just collecting stuff, you actually either subconsciously or actually, let me ask you, do you do you manage like a dictionary of taxonomy? So if you enter an e-commerce client, you always have this basic set of, of stuff that you'll mm -hmm. want to implement with this semantic structure or do you redesign it no. every time? The interesting thing is like, I mean, e-commerce is the best example. So you usually have a stack of, let's say, I don't know, 20 events that you usually find, uh, yeah. find on an e-commerce setup. And also like the same as properties. The big problem there is more like, how much do you actually want to expose and, and implement, let's say, from a mm. property perspective? Because, I mean, you can go wild. You have a lot of, let's say, product characteristica that might be interesting. And then you have more like the decision like, do I put this all in the front end? So because like it drives every developer crazy to do this, uh, especially if you ask for things that are not visible on the website. So if you ask mm. for things that is visible, it's easy for them because they already have it. But if they have to run, I don't know, three more API calls, it's <laughs> hitting yeah. the database again, no one is basically happy about it. So then you basically come in a situation to think about, okay, do I enrich it later or so? Uh, but yes, in the end, for e-commerce, for subscription handling, you always end up with the same kind of event types. So, and and what do you think about you know Google, for example, imposing their own 
like, do you ever wonder where they come up with those semantic models? Because some of them just don't make any sense. Like if you look at the event dictionary that they recommend, uh, you know, use this event name with these parameters. And some of them just look, so, look relating to a website of the 90s or an e-commerce flow of like early Amazon. It's just so weird. Yeah, it is. I usually, so like when I do a Google setup, I do two implementations. So one, how I would like to have it. And then the second one, how Google wants to have it so that we have both. <laughs> to keep both. the overlords happy. Yeah, so it is because like some, let's say the Google stuff is feeding some standard stuff. Yeah. So I want to have these things. So of course, like, but then I make the translation, for example, in, in, yeah. in, in Tag Manager to basically spit it out and say, okay, we have the same, but we send it twice. Yeah. I think the big question, I don't know how they, I think the big, the big challenge that Google of course has, and at least like often people forget is like, they are serving the big, biggest kind of audience here. They're serving like us people who know this old world, like uh, things and maybe want still want to have some stuff around. And then they have the mobile ones who of course, like have these very, for people now new event model, but for them, it's kind of old school because it's around yeah. for 12 years. And then you have the very simple marketing use cases, very complex e-commerce. I mean, it's crazy if you want to create this kind of, let's say, common thing in the middle that kind of works. Yeah. You end up with this. So, And, and then you see people doing the Google thing, collecting stuff to GA for, then exporting it to BigQuery and doing an ETL and converting it to something completely different. Like, why not start with a different data model? And it's just, you know, I, I don't know. It just... It just somehow speaks of the great gravity that Google stack has in our industry. And it's not always a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no, I think, I mean, the BigQuery thing would open up a lot of more doors where you would ask like, okay, why do they do it like this? So why, why don't they just do a really, really good BigQuery event model? Uh, so, I mean, there are examples out there that it just have could have a look at and have some inspiration. So without naming them, uh, but they are definitely good atomic event data table somewhere from some kind of tool generated. <laughs> and that would be great if they would have done something like yeah. this. And I mean, of course, you always, in every data stack, you always have some transformation in there. I mean, this is like the thing, so you cannot, I mean, this is the whole discussion right now, like where should this qualification happen? Should it happen at the root? Let's say where product engineers are implementing stuff. Yeah. So should they do it in, the, in a proper way that you don't have to do the work later on? Yes. Maybe possible, but also have its challenges. And so I think there's no best way in the end it comes no. down to the organization. So if you really have a very good data engineering and analytics engineering team, they can handle a lot of stuff. They can handle a lot of transformation yeah. in a very smart way. Then maybe you can live with that events don't come in a really good shape or so because you can still clean it up. Yeah. But yeah. I like the, you write, you have a Substack, and I remember you wrote about something called what is beyond event data. And I really like that article and it's like very tied to this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to share it in the, in the episode notes is very, very good. Um, but like, let's talk a bit about that part too, before, you know, before the end, like let's talk about content creation, like how we, we are also content creators. So we're also excited to hear about like, what is your, rituals for creating content like where do you get inspiration like how is that feedback that you were talking about earlier affecting what you're uh, uh talking about like and i know you also have a podcast and thank you for having me there as well it was a uh, very fun when uh we uh we did it together called uh, better together yeah and uh just yeah tell me tell me about the content creation part uh 
first I have to give a shout out to Simo because like I mean um, I would not say you totally started it but you definitely set a little bit like the the thing that I wanted to achieve because like um, your kind of content was the kind of content that I was always looking for in data. So I think what brought me into the content creation was like, I was just missing the stuff that I wanted to have. And I saw it in other, let's say in other mm -hmm. disciplines. So um, I'm someone who has to learn very visually. And so like to, to understand kind of concepts and, uh, and in front of development, you really have these platforms where people just go in there and they do a screen share and they show how they implement stuff and they talk about it. I mean, the interesting part is they talk about it. So they, they, they let you live through their decision-making. Okay. I'm, I'm doing this implementation, this kind of way because of this. And this was the stuff that was missing for me in data and broad data. So not even like, let's say for events, but data stacks, how to create data models and so on. And so this is where I started out with video. This was, I think the first content that I did and then ventured into text because like I was not so confident with text and it took me basically a year to find my way to write, for example, substacks. So for everyone out there who's struggling, so keep going after some time it will come. So you will basically, so at some point I found the kind of, let's say topics I want to write about and uh, the, the kind of style that I want to write about. And so, and it was like by reading other stuff and at some point thinking, okay, maybe I want to go a bit more in this kind of direction and ideas is not a big problem. So usually like the subsec is about data yes the industry so what's happening there and yes i have some focus on events and product analytics but i also right now try to write about let's say data stacks in general and, and so on so usually like the topics the topics are not so hard it's more like the angle that i'm trying to find so i want to find a unique angle on a specific kind of thing so this might take a little bit longer and one thing that really helped me is like to find the right tool so i have a tool which is called uh lock sec uh, and it's basically an open source tool for note taking. And it has this approach. And I think some people know it maybe from wrong research where you basically put all your stuff in bullets and you just, you can have different kind of hierarchy of bullets and so on. And as I said, like I'm someone who's sketching out a lot. And so like, I can just sketch out my first idea and then I can basically move it and move it around. And then the good thing is like, because like, I cannot focus on something for an hour, so I can just do it for 10 or 15 minutes. This is perfect for me. So mm. I can just do 15 minutes on some kind of part in there, then I move out again, then I come back after 20 minutes and do another 10 minutes. Yeah. So, um, and this kind of structure in the end helped me a lot to get to, let's say, the right pace to really at least put something out every two weeks. Still want so to land at everyone every week, uh, but uh, this is super hard. So it's great. No, 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 no. It's yeah. It's it's gonna hit into your creativity as well, and you'll be completely tapped out. That's me saying from possible. You might be different, but so uh, does does this tool? So you put the bullets there, and then you press a button, and Chat GPT writes the article for you, right? No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, oh, it sometimes it sometimes does. Let's least let's say the summary for LinkedIn because like yeah. sometimes I think oh god I wrote the article and I don't want to write the summary now. Yeah. For this, no, actually not. ChatGPT is more like this. Let's say if I want to reuse content somewhere else, there it's perfect. I mean, like yeah. to to write me a summary of this video. I mean, I even got this whole thing now to to take a five minute video and write a two thousand word blog post out of it which still is quite okay. So it, it has 
So it's kind of an assembly line already. Um, mm. So I think there it's really interesting, but for the original stuff, no. So it's like yeah. I need my kind of angle. And I, I have might be sp- interested in that too, because I have a lot of videos that I'm lazy to write about. <laughs> no, it's it, it takes some work to, to find how, you, how to prompt it. Uh, yeah. But in the end, like it's just a sequence of five or six prompts. And, and you can use something like, I don't know, length chain to basically orchestrate everything. And uh, yeah, no, it's crazy what you can do with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I still believe, I mean, this is like, I mean, this interesting thing about content is like, so you have a lot of, and we all, I think, easily can agree of this. You have this, let's say, fast food, easy to consume kind of content. So the yeah. obvious one. So like, here are the five things that you should do better in your Google Analytics reporting setup. I hate those posts. Yeah, of course you click them because like you always think, okay, there might be something that I missed so far. No, no, I said I hate those posts. You hate those posts posts so much. (laughs) This is 10 things. It's hate and love, so I I still click on them. So I I definitely get triggered by them pretty easily. You got more. And it's fine. I mean, you can scan over it and you can say, yeah, so... But I mean, of course, like we're all looking for these these things where people bring in, let's say... um, you have an existing problem, you just bring a different kind of angle into it. Say, okay, I take it from this kind of approach. And of course, I think this takes a while until you can really do this. So for me, it took me eight, nine months to to, to get to this thing, to find these kind of angles. And it was a lot of listening to other people doing this stuff. So for me, for example, a lot of listening to Ben Thompson. So like he was like doing business uh, analyst pieces and he's writing every day. I mean, he's super crazy. Uh, and so, and he's doing this for years, but to, to really like what, let's say listening or write, uh, reading his stuff from a standpoint to learn how he's approaching this kind of topic that at least teach me a lot, how I can, yeah, take a common thing, maybe also like a common theme, but let's say step two steps to the left and then look from there or from to, to a different kind of lens. And so this helped. It's really cool. Well, where can people find you and read this content? Well, share share with us like what you know have. You have so have many on. different ventures. Yeah, just go, go through them all. Now's your go chance. Through them all and we're gonna right add now. them all to our video notes. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. Okay. High click to rate in our video notes. Just not yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so let me start. So I started out on LinkedIn, so I mentioned it first, and I still do some stuff on LinkedIn, but not so extensively like I did in the past. But I still try to do it because LinkedIn has a very good feedback channel, so people are really quick mm-hmm. to answer. Um, then I have my YouTube channel where I I would like to post more often, but I still like I I try to do specific kind of pieces. So, for example, what are segment alternatives? What are mixed panel alternatives? Not like that you replace the two, but you, that you understand how these tools work and maybe you don't get the right value out of it because you don't use it. But if you still want to move on, these are, let's say four or five and you can, this might be helpful. So this I do on, on YouTube. Then I have on timodechau.com. So this is my, uh, my page. So there you can also find the Substack. Uh, and so on Substack, I write these more like different perspective kind of pieces. And uh, then you also find the book there, so you can order it. And the nice thing is like, because it's a living document, every second week you get 20 new pages. So we had this in the old days in Germany in the supermarket, we had this continuous book that you could write always like the next 10 pages in the supermarket. And you could put it like in a big folder. And then in the end you had this whole book, but because you missed half of it, because like you forgot to buy it. Here it's nicer. So you get 20 new pages and you get this thing before as well. So 
I think, that, yeah, and then we have Better Together. So Better yeah. Together is every two weeks. It's a live show where I try to find out why product and data doesn't really work a lot more together, which I still don't understand. So for me, it's a no-brainer that you can do product development with data, but I think it's definitely underserved. So it should happen a lot more. And this is what we're trying to figure out. For sure. And uh, yeah, make sure you check out all the notes in the in the in the episode, but know that his Substack is really cool. I actually spent time reading through it. That's and nice. I learned That's... a lot of cool things. So yeah, thank you so much for coming and sharing, you know, all the stuff for us today. It was really nice to uh, to have you. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's reconvene in another yeah. very minutiously planned episode. <laughs> yeah. Thank you no, so much. Th th thanks for having me. And I will, I will keep the edge here on the computer. So once we, yes. we come together, so that. Did you hear like... Microsoft? Did you hear? Yeah. We <laughs> found an Microsoft? edge case for edge. So I, edge I have the drums somewhere here. <laughs> oh, no. Well, okay. That actually works quite nicely. So, um, yeah. And, and be sure to check out Timo's workbook that we've been talking about. Yeah. It's available on his site. And one day when it will be complete, Will there be a paper copy, by the way? It will always this be is a good question. Yeah. Maybe yes, if if I figure out how to do it in a proper way. And I yeah. already, some people sent me one or two links. I might check them out. I guess I want to have a paper copy at some yeah. point. That would Sounds be cool. good. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for Thank you, Thank you for showing up. See you guys next time.